Equine health is our business. Horses and education are our passion. Welcome to the EquiConnect podcast. Here we will have case-based conversation and talk about interesting news and information with the goal of sharing knowledge, focusing on equine health. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Equine Connect podcast. I'm Dr. Mike Pownell, and I'm your host. We took a brief hiatus from the show to regroup and realign in an effort to bring you the best show we can, and we are back now with an incredible lineup of episodes that for sure are going to interest you. A little history about me. I'm the Pownall and McKee Pownall. Some of our long-term clients may remember me back in the day. Recently, I'm more behind the scenes, and that allows me to do creative projects like this podcast. So I can't wait to bring you more episodes on horse health and education with special guests delving deep into topics that are important to horse owners like you. Today, I'm really, really pleased to welcome Dr. Rafael Gomez from our Caledon location to the show. Uh, Dr. Gomez joined our practice spring of 2021. Rafa, as we call him, has a real strong interest in repro, so we'll be for sure talking about this. So welcome, Rafa. Thank you very much, Mike. Let's talk about what you're up to lately. And uh, just earlier this week, you did the first of your webinars on reproduction. So tell us what you're doing. Yeah, so it's it's pretty cool. And we're very excited to present to everyone our series of winter webinars uh, on equine reproduction. We chose a couple of fun topics and topics of common interest for people that are thinking about breeding a mare for the first time or people that have bred mares several times, right? We had the first one last week. It was about the ester cycle of the mare. It was an interesting topic because a lot of times people that are breeding the mares, they know everything. They know the behavior. They know the stallions. They know how to breed a mare. But we never stop and explain all the hormonal process that goes through the mare's brain and then to the ovaries and how that correlates to what they are seeing in the mirror, like behavioral-wise. I can tell you just being part of it and just being behind the scenes on the uh, the webinar, I did not do repro work when I was practicing, and it's not <laughs> something I really thought about for a while, but I just was just marveling at the complexity of it and just how many hormones are in play and yep. the influence that we can as veterinarians have to expedite the the process. Fascinating. Yeah, and, and it's and it's funny because, I don't know, in, in every repro appointment, you go, you see the mare, do a physical exam, and then you go to the back and start your reproductive exam and do the ultrasound, you check the conformation of the mare's bulba in the perineal region. But a lot of times we don't take the time to explain to the owners, like, hey, this is what we're doing, this is why we're doing it, or this is what I'm seeing in the ultrasound. A lot of owners know, like, okay, she has a big follicle. That's cool. You know that, yeah. Now you know that what that follicle is doing. Why is your mare acting in heat? Or why are we looking for that follicle to grow or to or the edema in the uterus? And how we can play with that estrocycle. So I think it was a it was a cool one because yeah, as I say, normally we don't take the time to explain. And I love it. And it's what it's on our mind all repro season. We're always thinking about that cycle and all those waves and hormones and stuff. So I'm very passionate about that. 
it's been obvious since day one you're passionate about it. It's, it's interesting amongst veterinarians, equine veterinarians, there's either you love or you hate repro. Yeah. And, and I know it's sort of like when we, we, we talk about it, and this is why you've been such a great addition to the team, is that you love repro. Yes, 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 yes. I, 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 just, I just love it. I'm, I'm passionate about it. The next topics for the webinar series are also going to be interesting. Like the next one that we have coming on, it's on January 16th. It's going to be breeding the problem mare. So everyone that has been involved with breeding, they all know this mare. I was going to say, when is it not a problem mare? Because it's... <laughs> I know. It's nice when things go smoothly, but I guess that's all we usually hear about are the problem mares. Usually people would call us with those problem mares, right? A lot of people, they do their own uh, repro work and they're not going to call you if they breed the mare and the mare catches and she's in foal. But is that a specific or special mare that is just giving you problems? Yeah. That is not getting in foal, that is building up fluid or is reabsorbing or... Or just age. I mean, I think one of the bigger challenges we have are the, the show horses and at, at a certain time, either their show career is over and you're like, oh, they're 18, 19. Can we get them at full? And yeah. theoretically, yes. Yeah. Not easy, but yes. Yeah. That's one of the biggest challenges with the sport courses. You end up having a 18-year-old maiden that you want to breathe. And well, for a lot of people, that's not that old, especially in the show horse business. It's not an old horse. Mm -hmm. But we have to remember that for the uterus, after 14 years old, it starts to to degenerate, like the cells there and the lining of the uterus specifically. It starts to degenerate. Uh, so their ability to carry a pregnancy to full term, it's going to be lower and lower and lower. So sure. yeah, it's one of the big challenges, but that doesn't mean that it's not possible. And it depends on, on the mare. I'd say the mare, and, and I know the, the segment after that is... I'll get, let you introduce it, but in, just in terms of how we use a stallion and, and the semen and frozen and chilled and what have you, that has a big factor too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that's going to be a fun one because I think most people are aware of the options that we have, like from natural copper for like to fresh, cooled semen, and then the frozen semen. But I, I think that it is important to specify the differences in between each process. It's not the same when you're planning on breeding a mare uh, with a stallion than when you're planning to breed the mares with fresh semen or even with frozen, right? There's their variants, and it's going to be fun because it's going to be a little bit correlated with the first talk, with the estrocycle mm -hmm. talk, because we're going to talk a little bit about hormones, how we can play with the hormones and how we, all, we are playing with the hormones in order to get your mare pregnant. I'm really looking forward to it, and I think a lot of the people listening to this that have show horses would be most interested is the, the discussion of embryo transfer because up until recently you would wait till the the horses retired from showing to try to breed and we just discussed so hard but embryo transfer they can have a show career and be a mom yeah 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 and, and it's it, it's amazing i mean embryo transfers are just the coolest thing that you can do literally it's it's the coolest thing that you can do because you're like taking the baby and put it in it in another mare Mm -hmm. Right. And for that to happen, it sounds very simple because it's like, yeah, yeah, you go, you flush your mirror, take the embryo out and put it in another mirror. Just wait. Oh, so, yeah. It sounds so simple. It yeah. sounds really so simple. simple, but all the work that is behind that, it's what really gets me excited. And I have that 
passion. So I love it. And it's it's very cool because you can have like a young mare that it's showing and you like the the bloodlines. And it's like, you know what? It would be really cool to breed this mare, but I don't want to get her off work because mm. she's showing really good. Like, okay, give her one week or two. We're going to inseminate her, flush her. If we retrieve the embryo, we put it in a recipient mare. And after that, she can go and she can keep jumping and showing and everything. And she won't lose more than a couple of weeks. So that's one of the advantages. The other one is that older mare that her career is over. You don't want her to have the pregnancy and to carry the baby or she just can't because her uterus won't allow it. And you can have babies from that mare. It's a great tool that we have nowadays. And it's funny, like on that talk, we're going to talk briefly about the history of embryo transfers, because right now it sounds very common and it's like, I'll do an embryo transfer, I'll do this and do that. And it kind of sounds like something new, mm -hmm. but it's something that started like in 1974 or something like that, like the first embryo transfer on a horse, successful embryo transfer. So it's been here for a while. For it has taken time for us to perfection the technique. So what, what part of the technique did we have to really work on perfecting? First of all was uh, the synchronization of the mares. Okay. And after that, it was the flushing, uh, the flushing process. Building a flush fluid that would be good for the embryo. Because you could use any kind of fluid, but embryos are kind of sticky. So we use a special flush fluid that has some like surfactant mm -hmm. agents that they won't allow the embryo to get stuck in the tubes and right. some of them have antibiotics, uh, just nutrients for the embryo to get them better. Also, like while the technique was being developed, we had to have a better understanding of how equine pregnancies were, like from the start to the end of them because mm -hmm. they have like their specific things different from other species. Like the baby doesn't reach to the uterus it doesn't get to the uterus until it's 6.5 days old or six days old before that it starts growing in the abiduct that's different to all, all the other species absolutely yeah so you have to wait for that you have to wait that time to flush the mare because if not if you flush it before you you won't get anything even though the mare might be pregnant i think it's that and the other part that i think everyone worked for was to make it more affordable right and i think right now we are at that stage where it's affordable yeah i know watching you do a few of them this year and it just it sounds so simple but i saw all that goes into it it's anything but simple and i just think yeah. it probably in 1975 it was a lot harder than it is now yes. obviously but it's still a, a certain degree of challenges and i it still comes back to i mean this is why i like how you built the series it, it starts with the hormones yeah and how you can influence hormones, and then yet you need a healthy uterus. Yeah, it all ties together. And then the last series is on foaling. The foaling one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we start with the hormones, then you need to get the mare pregnant. <laughs> you disseminate her. And then what do you do when that baby touches mm -hmm. the ground? So that's one uh, of my other passions. It's babies. Because who doesn't love a foal? Right. Yeah, but you know what? Again, this is where it comes down to vets. Like either you love foals or you're like, uh, not me, please. Yeah. When they kick, they hurt, man. Yeah. <laughs> they're it squirmy. Hurts. It hurts. It hurts. But I, I just think that they're very, very yeah. fun. Of course. I mean, I'm I mean, joking. 
there's not a better sight than seeing a full run around the field with with yeah, mom. Yeah. Like there's just not a better sight. It does suck when they hit you right in the, right <laughs> in the, the knee. In. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. We're recording this at the beginning of December and hopefully people will be listening to it. So I know some of the things you talked about in the hormonal section is what to do now. How And so let's maybe discuss that a little bit. Uh, if you're thinking that, yeah, this is be the spring that I'm going to breed my mare and maybe for the first time, uh, mare breeders or even those that are experienced, what are some of the common tips that you'd want to share to people, like how to make sure that the season is successful? Because we only have a certain amount of time. Yeah. And we don't want to wait too long in the year because you don't want to fall born in the summer. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's the thing with the with Repro, that we just have one season that is going to be very intense. So you have to plan ahead. That's like the main advice is plan ahead. Start thinking like now about the stallions that you want to use, uh, get involved with the bloodlines that you want to use, check your mare's pedigree, check the stallions' uh, genetics too, and see if there's maybe records of similar crosses in between those bloodlines see the stallion's progeny, uh, see how they are working. What is that stallion actually giving? And what I always tell people, also look at the at the moms. The mares, I think they are very important and they have like a very, very strong genetic uh, charge in the individuals. So don't just focus on the stallion, also focus on the mare. I've heard a lot of people, uh, you know, old-timey horse people say that the influence of the mare is much higher than the stallion. Yeah. Would you agree with that? I think so. Yeah. I think so. We have some individuals that the stallion could be a good stallion. And the mare, maybe she didn't, I don't know, in racing she didn't run a lot, but her bloodline is like very, very good. And you get these outstanding individuals. So I always tell them, look at the mare too. It, it's important. Her genetic charge is very important too. Any other tips then for people? Because I know we talked about lighting and, yeah. and what So after that, think about breeding your mare early in the year. I know this is more for the racehorses or even reining all the quota horses that you're trying to get your foals to be born early in the year. But I think it's a good, a good idea to start them on the lights, even though if you want a foal that it's going to be born, I don't know, when it's warmer, around May or so, if you start your mare in the light, your mare is going to be cycling from February, maybe March, if she's a late one, until September. And you're going to have more time to work with your mare and to get familiarized on how your mare is cycling. How is she behaving during her estro cycle? That's a very good thing to consider, even though you're not thinking about breeding that mare on February to get a foal on January. Just put her on lights. It doesn't cost much, mm -hmm. really. I mean, it's not like hormonal therapy. And your mare will start cycling before. That way you will know. And then in communication with your vet, you will start following your mare and you will know her cycle because mares are very different. We have mares that ovulate at 30, 35 millimeter follicle. And they have, we have mares that ovulate at 55 or something like that. And it's better if we know how they behave during the cycles because we're going to have a better chance of getting her pregnant sure. on the first time because that's our main goal. The big picture is we want to get the mare pregnant. But for us, is we want to get the mare pregnant on the first try. We don't want to waste time, money, and effort on breeding a mare two times, three times, four times. So and then the, the, more, the better you can prepare 
the better chance you have that first exactly. time. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And just as a show note, we'll have a link to this webinar so anybody can see it because I know you go into much more detail about the reasons why we want lights and how it influences the whole hormonal uh, cycle. So there's much more explanation on that. I want to shift a little bit. Your enthusiasm for repro really is obvious. So, <laughs> But you had a bit of an unconventional path to McKee Poundall Equine Services. So <laughs> let's talk a little bit about yourself. So tell everybody where you're from and how you got into veterinary medicine. It's a great story. Well, I'm from Mexico City. So my dad is also a veterinarian. He does horses too, and he specializes in bullfighting cattle, uh, just taking care of the whole ranch. And at some point, they started getting a lot, a lot of horses, uh, really well-bred horses, uh, halter quarter horses. Mm -hmm. And they started breeding, and they did the whole thing with these horses. So it's funny because for me, my vacations were going to the ranch with my dad and help him and just watch him work. But at that time, I never realized that he was working. So I was like, what do you want to do when you were grow up? And I'm like, I'm going to be a veterinarian. To be honest, I saw my dad having so much fun, uh, just enjoying so much what he did. And even though he had long days, to me, it just looked like he was having fun. He mm -hmm. liked it. He loved it. So I never saw him work. Until he got to the house and he started doing like the reports in the computer. Right. That's work. And that's that's the work. And that's how I feel until I get here to the clinic or to my house and start working on the records. Like that's my job. Yeah. Like that's work. And it's like, ah, records. But before that, you get to play with horses. I was, I don't know, like 15, 16 years old. I was young. And my dad was doing Reaper and was checking some mares. Obviously, he always saw my interest and I was there with him. And he told me like, do you want to palp a mare? And I'm like, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you want to palp her? And I'm like, okay. <laughs> put on a glove. Okay. So I put on a glove. I put the louvre. And then he told me, okay, like, hey, you're going to put your hands like this. And you're going to go very slow. Okay. So I went very slow. And that's like the first time that I popped a mare. So I go inside and he told me, what do you feel? And I was like, warm. <laughs> <laughs> it's warm. <laughs> and it's tight <laughs> and then he tells me like just reach further open your hand and just move it from one side to the other and you're gonna feel kind of like a water balloon like a big water balloon and i was like yeah maybe um yeah i think i'm there he's like okay you think you're there okay just very smoothly and very gentle kind of like bounce that ball so i did that movement uh, when I did it, I just felt the foal's head. It was a mare that she was like near her falling date. Mm -hmm. And I just felt the foal's head just touching my hand. And I was just fascinated. I was like, wow, I was so happy. I felt great. So that's when my interest in repro like actually first came. Then I went into vet school to UNAM. Um, that's my, my school over there in, in Mexico. I love my school. Uh, I think it's the only one in Latin America that is accredited by the AVMA. So, so just to have everybody uh, clear, so the American Veterinary Medical Association accredits vet schools in North America. So all the vet schools in Canada, all of them in North America, uh, the one in Mexico City, there's a couple of the Caribbean, a couple in the UK, and I think only one or two in Europe. So it's 
it's not every vet school has it. So it yeah, what it says is that it, it has a standard that all the vet schools should be ideally equivalent. So I got into vet school and I always had in my mind like huh, reproduction. I want to see that class and I want to go to that class. I actually got it until the seventh uh, semester with Dr. Uh, Sarko. He was, I think at the time he was the director of the reproduction department of the school. He, once he was a director in the school, uh, he was just great. Mm-hmm. I was fascinated by his class. And it was so different because right now everyone uses like the computer and PowerPoint presentations as a tool. He only had two markers on the board. Mm-hmm. And he explained the astrocycle of all species and the anatomy and everything. And I was just like fascinated by it. So I got hooked on that. After that, then I went to do some externships and I was a volunteer in the hospital at my university, in the school's hospital there. And then at the end of bed school over there, it's it's very practical. So we have half semester theory and the other half is all practice, like clinics. Obviously, I was always interested in horses, horses, horses. I got to through the whole horses subject. But at the end, I love medicine. I love treating the horses, but I want to do repro. So I went into a program. It's called like professional work. It's a program that you do a series of rotations, kind of like in an internship. And this one was all focused in equine reproduction. My mentor was uh, Dr. Miriam Boeta. She's the one that opened the doors for me to the whole river world. And she put me in places where I went specifically to learn and to learn from great doctors back home that are doing repro like every single day. So I got a lot of practice out of that. I mean, at the end, we popped all the mares. We did all the ultrasounds. We had a final project to do an embryo transfer with the mares there. We saw some donkeys and jennies. We collected donkeys too. So it was a really fun time, but I actually learned a lot. Sounds like an incredibly deep dive into the subject. Oh, yeah. Like yeah, a yeah very yeah. deep, hands-on experience. It was like that. And we had the opportunity to be in like big Thorbert farms and we stayed there. So over there, it's not like every farm has like the repro guy and the medicine guy. It's one. So we were with that doctor that had to do everything, mainly repro. But at the end, we were treating colleagues, we were treating wounds, we were uh, doing respiratory cases, we were doing newborns, like the foals, uh, yearlings, everything. So it was a great experience for me. Then I I got my license. And after that, I started working with uh, Dr. Carlos Castro. We started working together. Uh, We kind of like associated. And we started seeing a bunch of thoroughbreds, Andalusians, some sports horses, Frisians, and the main interest was uh, repro and a little bit of uh, sports medicine. I got a question. And just as you start naming all the breeds, are certain breeds harder to get pregnant than others? Yes, I think they do. Yeah. I think Frisians, like overall, the Frisians have a bunch of problems because of the inbreeding that yeah. the breed has. Yeah. And I think one of those... <laughs> has to do with repro. I, I specifically don't know, but those are hard mares to get pregnant. Andalusian mares, they would give us a lot of problems. Yeah, the thoroughbreds, their only thing is uh, the conformation, but I think they are a great breed to work with. And like the vast majority of the studies had, had been done with thoroughbreds. So right. almost all the information that is out there is in thoroughbreds. So you can apply a lot of things. 
to that breed. So I think they're they're great. I found Koto uh, horses to be a very good breed. You have problems, but in my experience, it's the ones that have the least problems. Right. Sorry, I interrupted your train of thought there because I just all of a sudden was like, "No, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I, I do think so." Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, you were in practice, and he, I was in practice. So I was practicing with him, and then I got uh, the opportunity to go work at a private ranch in Texas to do the repro season there, uh, racing quarter horses, uh, just to do the breeding, and it was a great time. At that point, I was irresponsible, the only one, mm-hmm. the only one, and I had no one that I could give a call. Of course, I had my dad and all my mentors, and I would give them a call, but you're not going to bother someone at one o'clock in the morning when you have a dystocia and you're just there and you just have to breathe and think and the learning is there. I mean, Mm -hmm. all the information is there and you get to do things and to be successful. So it was a great experience for me. And that's like, that was my first contact with the veterinary world in North America. Mm -hmm. I always had it in mind, but that was like my first contact. That's when I knew like, no, I want to be around here. I want to be in North America. Mm-hmm. I, I just think that the perception of the veterinarian is is just different what it is from Mexico than what it is here. So I was like, nope, I want that. I want that. So I went back home. I started my own practice. I started to get some clients. Same main focus was repro, but at the end, I ended up doing <laughs> everything. And it's the fun part about, about repro. I tell these to like to the people that are studying or just finishing school and they don't like grief and they look at me like nah i like sports medicine i like the joints and this and that and i just tell them like don't leave it aside yeah. because it's easier for you to get into a range by doing a price check and then after that you can get more more and more and more work at that place and i also think i mean just the experience because so much like lameness for example or so much is feel like you're feeling a tendon or you're feeling the heat or a pulse in a foot. It's so much feel. And the more you do it, the better you get, the more sensitive you get. And I imagine it's the exact same thing of repro in terms of the tone of the uterus and palpating. And Yeah. Yeah. It's incredible how much information we can get just by uh, doing a rectal on the mare. Yeah. And then with the ultrasound, well, we have everything. And even, even then, we're always... I don't want to say guessing, but we are. Because <laughs> we're always thinking, if you don't know the mare, if you don't know how her cycle behaves, it's like, oh, is this mare going to ovulate soon? If it's going to be ovulate small or big? What is her normal tone? What is her normal grade of edema? Yeah. You're just thinking and thinking because all of these, like all of the first talk is going through my mind. And it's like, especially when mares, when I don't know a mare, all this goes in through my mind because a lot of the mares here uh, were shipping semen from the U.S. Yep. And it's like, you have to plan ahead again. <laughs> we come back to the planning ahead. You have to, okay, we need to order semen one day. The next day they collect the stallion and we'll get the semen two days after the first day that I saw the mare. So what is she going to do? What am I going to do? What hormones I'm, I'm going to use? Am I using a hormone or not? I'm, I'm just going to let her. It's pretty complex. You start that thought process and you get involved in it and you're like, Ah, all repro season, I love it, but I'm always like, ah, this bear, like, (laughs) (laughs) like, why, why did you ovulate so soon? This is how it's supposed to be done. Exactly. And that's so true. I mean, mares, they don't read textbooks. Yeah. It's a lie. If you're in vet school, don't even bother (laughs) because they're going to do whatever they want. (laughs) 
Well, I would say it's guessing. It's educated guessing because yeah. the experience comes in there. And I just, I remember just spending some time with you when you, when you first came up here and you're looking at some repro cases, just, there was a lot of nuance and a lot of factors. And I just was so impressed by your decision-making process because you have to make a decision ultimately. Yeah. And you got to live by that decision. Yeah. You want to be the best decision. And as I said before, you have to be very efficient because mm-hmm. you don't want that mare to ovulate and, oh, it's now it's another cycle and we have to wait. Or if you order semen and it gets here and the mare ovulated and it's like, ah. Talk a little bit about the challenges of frozen semen versus, you know, uh, chilled, which is what you're talking about, bringing the, the semen in from the States. But what are the challenges between chilled and frozen semen? I think that the main difference is the whole process that the semen goes through to get frozen. And because of that, that semen is only going to be viable inside the uterus for eight hours. The opposite thing with the fresh semen, natural cover or even cooled semen, it lasts viable in the uterus 48 hours. Hmm. So it huge is a huge difference. It's a huge difference and it's a big, big gap. So that's one of the things. We cannot inseminate a mare and hope that she ovulates at some point because we don't know if she ovulates at eight hours, nine hours, 10 hours, that semen is going to be dead. And it's mm-hmm. like you did nothing. For that, we just need to follow the cycle of those mares. We just need to follow, the, follow them very close. We give an ovulation induction uh, agent. And we start following their cycle every four to six hours because we want to make sure that they have ovulated so we can put the semen in. And now the other part, now talking about the mare, once a mare has ovulated, that oocyte or the egg uh, that is going to meet the spermatocyte is going to be viable for six hours. You will find a lot of uh, controversy about these values. Because there are some textbooks that tell you that it could be 12 hours. There are some others that tell you that it could be 24 hours. I think it depends on the data analysis. But for me, for me, for me, it's six hours. I only give them six hours. I'm not taking the chance. If I don't know that your mare ovulated before those six hours, I'm not going to waste a dose of frozen semen. So that's one of the things. You have a oocyte that is going to be viable for six hours. And you have semen that is going to be viable only for eight hours. So that's why we we like to inseminate those mares post-ovulation. Exactly when they have ovulated, maybe a couple hours after they ovulated, we inseminate them and we're just making sure that everything is viable and it's, that it's going to be there. And that's why we only do frozen semen at our farm at the Repro Center yeah. because, you know, to go out to a farm every six hours is, is not realistic. Yeah, no, but here you can... We can monitor ongoing, and when it happens, like, let's do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's very hard to do it at a farm. We check the mare, like, through the night. Yeah. Right? And if she ovulates at 2 a.m. in the morning, that's when we are inseminating. So, yeah, I think those are the, the challenges. The other thing that we need to remember is the success rate with frozen semen. It's from 50 to 60% mm-hmm. success with that semen. I know uh, um, some of the times this spring, I mean, you're like, how are you doing, Rafa? You're like, I'm exhausted, <laughs> you know, because you're checking mirrors. But then the next breath with this, but yeah. she ovulated at two in the morning and we got her and it was great. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We're always happy to see an ovulation. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we use the hormones and we try to, we plan everything. I mean, when we give the, the hormone, we know that the mare will ovulate around 36 to 40 hours post-induction. Mm-hmm. But as I said before, 
a lot of marriages don't read the textbooks. Yeah. So that's why we keep checking them. I mean, we prepare everything. So we are we plan ahead and we say, okay, we're going to inseminate the mare around 8 a.m. in the morning or 10 a.m. Not a lot of the mares ovulated at that hour. Like, right. Like some of them go before, some others go after, and that's okay. Yeah. But that's why we continue to check them overnight. We, I, I don't like to take the chance because I know that semen doses are not cheap. Yeah. So what led you to come to Canada? Just on our final moments, I just want to hear about how you came to here and just the, how life has been here the last 18, 19 months. Well, to be honest, it's, it's been amazing. I, I love it here. Everyone complains about the weather. I complain too, but I don't mind it. To be honest, I'm surrounded by amazing people. Everyone that works uh, here at Mickey Powell, the clients have been great. I mean, everyone has welcomed me and my wife with open arms. Mm -hmm. So that made things way easier moving so far away from home. And I just want to interrupt you there because I just think it's amazing is that we, we met you and we met you through Zoom. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you uprooted your whole life. You and your wife moved up here <laughs> yeah. in the middle of the pandemic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, was it was quite a big chance you two were taking. <laughs> it was quite a change. I think everything happens for a reason. And when it's meant to happen, things right. are going to thrive and everything is going to be. Oh, I think we, we hit it off like from the first interview. And then mm -hmm. even when I got here, I just felt like I was at home. Right. It helped a lot, like the people that surround me. Mm -hmm. And the decision was like going back to that moment in Texas where I wanted to come here. I just knew that I had to do something. And that something was to do the NABLI, that that's the veterinarian exam that everyone has to do to get a license in North America. But in Mexico, it's it's hard because nobody tells you a lot about it. They don't encourage you to do it. Yeah, it was quite a process to do the exam. I did it and then somebody asked me, do you want to go to the States or do you want to go to Canada? And I was like, no, I, I want to go to Canada. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I can say from our point of view, it's just been it's just been absolutely amazing. And it's just been such a great welcome to the team. And we've been able to encourage so many more of your country folk to come up here too. And it's just Yeah. That's been <laughs> outstanding. So we'll we'll meet more of them in future podcasts. So uh just to close, so we have four more of these sessions, January, uh two in January, one in February, one in one March. In March. Uh, in the show notes for the podcast, we'll have all the dates and but we'll also have a link to the one you just did on the whole estrocycle cycle and, and the influence of hormones. Fascinating. I just I have to commend you because I mean, as I was participating or just administrating the podcast, I mean, here you are explaining a fairly complex subject and it was approachable. Because it, you could get lost in the weeds talking about it because there are just so many details. So I, I just really appreciated how you're able to communicate it so effectively without dumbing it down too much. Like the information was there. So kudos to you. So thank you very much. I was I was very excited and very nervous at the time because I had never done that uh, before. But I really wanted for the mare owners mm -hmm. to know that part and to understand what's going on in our brain when we're checking the mare. Right. You will have better communication with your veterinarian when you tell them like, oh, yeah, yeah, she's in estrus or I mean, she's in heat and you know what's going on. Oh, yeah. OK. Oh, you're giving this because of that. Oh, perfect. Now I know why you're doing that and how you are playing with the hormones and with my mare and why you are doing each treatment. Yeah. Yeah. The more information you have, the better decisions you can make and the yeah, totally. better chance of success you're going to have because you only have that short timeline to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Rafa, thank you very much. This no, was thank fantastic. You. Th thank you for having me here. I, I hope I didn't bore you. <laughs> no, this is, your enthusiasm for repro just lights up a room. <laughs> so this is, I hope everybody catches that when they're listening to this. I'm sure they will. So Hopefully. thank you very much. Looking forward to the next uh, time we chat. And until then, you can reach us at info at mpequine. Our revitalized website is up at mckeepanel.ca. We're everywhere on social media. So if you have any questions or on that past webinar or any, on the future ones, drop us a line. We're uh, happy to chat with you. This podcast is not a substitute for regular and emergency veterinary care. Our purpose is to inform and educate horse people not to diagnose and treat medical conditions without a valid veterinary client-patient relationship.